Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard, and today is Friday, October 10th, 2022. It's been 3,158 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 240 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War update is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Command South of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we assess that the chance of Russian forces invading Ukraine from Belarus with the support of Belarusian troops continues to increase and has become a credible threat. Second, we acknowledge reports that Russian troops are starting to withdraw from Kherson, but significant questions remain on if this is the start of a partial or total withdrawal and if Russian forces will continue to fight for control of the West Bank of the Dnipro. Third, we maintain that Russian terror attacks on civilians and civilian infrastructure will continue throughout the week and likely beyond. Fourth, we maintain that the mobilization of up to 300,000 troops will have little impact on the battlefield due to poor morale and discipline and a lack of equipment among Mobics. Fifth, we maintain that Ukraine still holds the battlefield initiative, forcing Russian troops to remain in a defensive posture. Sixth, we maintain that using tactical nuclear weapons on the battlefield is highly unlikely, and the chances of the use of nuclear weapons are in decline. And finally, despite the improvement in the political situation, we maintain we are in the mutually assured destruction instability paradox due to previous irresponsible language from the Kremlin. Let's get some regional updates, starting with the Kherson counteroffensive and Mykolaiv. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, continues its media blackout in the Kherson Oblast, and we have not updated our warm-up for Kherson since October 16th. Neither belligerent reported significant fighting. The Russian Ministry of Defense reported that Ukrainian troops broke through Russian defenses yesterday until a miracle reserve of tanks appeared and pushed the advance back. We're inclined to apply what we now call the Solidar Paradox to the report. Last week, the Russian MOD reported that Ukrainian forces attacked Russian troops east of Solidar in the direction of Stryopivka until a miracle happened and they destroyed the advancing Ukrainians. We learned yesterday the attack part was true, but the miracle destruction of advancing Ukrainians wasn't. There is not enough information to confirm or deny Russian claims of fighting, but over the last 24 hours, NASA Fire Information for Resource Management Systems, or FIRMS, 
showed thermal anomalies in northern Kherson. Operational Command South, or OCS, reported a Russian forward operating base was destroyed in Borosensk. So we were preparing an assessment for today because we felt the situation had reached obvious clarity. Until it didn't anymore. There continue to be significant rumors, speculation, and anecdotal reports without enough supporting evidence. Then, Ukrainska Pravda confirmed our observations. Russian forces appear to be retreating from the western part of Kherson through ferries launched from Kosatske to Novokhovka. The retreat reportedly began after the first week of October, according to Schemi, part of Radio Svoboda, which is a United States media source. Satellite imagery confirms the apparent withdrawal. Ferries arrive empty in Kosatske and then carry trucks and people back to Novokhovka. It appears the Ukrainian armed forces have not interrupted the ferry traffic at this crossing, and there have been no attempts to move offensive weapons such as heavy artillery, tanks, and infantry fighting vehicles. Additional pictures have emerged of Russian forces moving trucks and civilian equipment across the Dnipro River from Kherson. This includes stealing fire trucks and emergency equipment. There are unconfirmed reports of trucks full of looted consumer electronics and appliances also moving across the river on ferries. Brigadier General Oleksiy Hromov, deputy head of the main operational directorate of the general staff of the armed forces of Ukraine, reported Russia might withdraw experienced troops from the west bank of the Dnipro and leave Mobiks to fight a rearguard action to protect the retreat. Occupation leaders in Kherson are starting to evacuate Russian medical workers and teachers and stopped distributing humanitarian aid. Working against the retreat narrative, GSAFU reported that 2,000 Russian Mobiks had been moved into Kherson as reinforcements. Deportations continued in Kherson, with up to 15,000 residents already moved to the eastern part of Kherson to be sent to Russia. That is, the pre-2014 border with Russia, not Zaporizhia we thought was annexed by Russia, Russia. OCS reported seven airstrikes by the Ukrainian Air Force, and ground forces carried out 110 fire missions. It's one of the lowest reported numbers in months. Quick note here, though, a one-day sharp drop in artillery and multiple launch rocket, or MLRS, strikes does not equal a trend. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky said that the Russians had rigged the dam and units of the Kakhovka hydroelectric power plant with explosives and planned to destroy the structure and blame Ukraine. Zelensky said, quote, If Russian terrorists blow up this dam, more than 80 settlements, including Kherson, will be in the zone of rapid flooding. Hundreds of thousands of people could suffer. It could destroy the water supply for a large part of Ukraine's south. This Russian terrorist attack could leave the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant without water for cooling. The ZNPP takes water from the Kohovka Reservoir. Even the functioning of the channel, constructed to provide Crimea with water, which Moscow sometimes expresses concern about, will be completely destroyed. End quote. Russian state media made the bizarre claim that Ukraine has its own nuclear weapons and has planted one in Mykolaiv to destroy the city and blame Russia for a false flag attack. Video shows that the pontoon bridge in Kherson was attacked, likely by rockets fired by HIMARS. 
Ukrainian officials confirmed the attack and claim they targeted Russian forces attempting to use the pontoon bridge to cross the Dnipro River. Occupation authorities claim the attack purposely targeted civilians, while other sources pointed out that the attack occurred during the mandatory curfew hours that bar civilians from traveling. Regardless of the back-and-forth claims, four to twelve people were apparently killed in the strike. Vitaly Kim, Mykolaiv Oblast administrative and military governor, reported that the city of Mykolaiv was struck by S-300 anti-aircraft missiles used for ground attack. The missiles reportedly hit nothing, with Kim stating, quote, They just messed up the lawns. End quote. Despite downing 12 Iranian sourced Shahed 136 kamikaze drones, four struck the city and a fifth landed on private property. The four drones hit a college, causing two fires. Thankfully, no casualties were reported. Let's move on to Dnipropetrovsk and northern Zaporizhia. There was no change in the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, and the International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, did not release a statement regarding the shelling of Enerkhodar from two days ago. The lack of reporting from Enerkhoatom and the IAEA implies that the 330-kilovolt power connection from the Zaporizhia thermal power plant remains intact. There was no update on the three kidnapped Enerkhoatom employees. At the time of recording, there were only unverified reports of shelling in the Nikopol area. The city of Zaporizhia was attacked by S-300 anti-aircraft rockets used for ground attack. The rocket struck residential housing and civilian infrastructure, and officials reported that one of the warheads did not detonate. They appealed to residents not to touch, move close, or take pictures of the rocket debris, and were waiting for explosive ordnance disposal experts to arrive. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at malcontentnews. Now to the Donbass region, starting with southern Zaporizhia. There wasn't any significant fighting reported in southern Zaporizhia, but Russian mill bloggers have renewed claims that Ukrainian troops are deploying north of Orekhiv and Khulyapola for a future counteroffensive. In southwest Donetsk, the Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, Militia Public Relations Channel, released a video of an artillery unit firing and provided a textbook example of how not to operate artillery equipment. The artillery piece was not properly braced and bucked wildly with every shot fired. When an artillery piece isn't braced, accuracy is significantly compromised. Just watch the video. We do link to it in our full situation report on Patreon. The DNR claimed their forces destroyed two tanks and two ZU-23-2 anti-aircraft guns without any evidence to back it up. The report of the ZU-23-2 guns being destroyed is unusual, as Ukraine has not fielded the weapon system for direct fire, while Russian forces have. Ukrainian forces carried out 155 fire missions on the occupied territory. Neither the Russian MOD, that's the Ministry of Defense, nor pro-Russian sources reported any fighting on the Axis. 
GSAFU reported positional fighting in Marinka and east of Pobida. There was no change to the line of conflict. In Mariupol, traffic jams formed as residents attempted to flee out of the city toward Russia. In northeast Donetsk, Russian and Ukrainian sources reported continued fighting on the outskirts of Terny and Torsky, but the intensity of Russian attacks is declining. Pro-Russian account Rybar further confirmed that Russian forces lost ground east of Solidar, reporting Ukrainian forces had recaptured the sparkling wine factory and were reinforcing their positions. Fighting was reported east of Bakhmut with no changes. However, pro-Russian source Rybar also claimed that Ukrainian forces had recaptured the asphalt plant, indicating that the private military company or PMC Wagner Group has been pushed back after recent advances. A reliable Ukrainian source reported that Russian forces had gained control of Odradivka. Based on the report, we've adjusted the map and coded the town as captured. Let's move on to Luhansk. Russian forces attacked Ukrainian troops in Bilohorivka again, but continued their military tradition of Operation Epic Fail in a town that honestly must feel cursed by this point. A reliable Ukrainian source reported renewed fighting for control of Spirne with no change in the line of conflict. Russian sources did not report any activity in the Luhansk region. Moving on to the Kharkiv region. An air raid on Kharkiv injured six people in the Kiev district, with industrial infrastructure damaged in the attack. There was no other information released at the time of recording. Ole Siniubov, Kharkiv Oblast administrative and military governor, confirmed our assessment that Russian forces now control less than 2% of Kharkiv Oblast. Since September 1st, 544 villages, towns, and cities have been liberated, while 32 settlements remain under Russian control, though the area still held by Russian forces is under Ukrainian fire control. In the Cherniev and Sumy region, Dmitro Zhivitsky, Sumy Oblast administrative and military governor, reported a border skirmish in the Seredina Buda Hromada with territorial guards and Russian forces using small arms and grenade launchers. There was no damage or injuries reported. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. General Oleksiy Hromov, deputy head of the main operational directorate of the general staff of the armed forces of Ukraine, confirmed our assessment that Belarusian forces might be preparing to attack western Ukraine and advance on Lviv. Hromov said, quote, There is a growing threat of a renewed offensive by the Russian armed forces on the northern front. The direction of the offensive could be different this time in the western part of the Belarusian-Ukrainian border, in order to interrupt main weapons and equipment supply routes used to deliver aid from Ukraine's Western partners. End quote. Pictures from Belarus showed pontoons and bridging equipment arriving on trains carrying a flood of Russian military equipment. In Minsk, Russian riot police vehicles and equipment were moving through the streets, but no troops were deployed. Quick assessment here. Bridging equipment was one of the last items to arrive in Belarus way back in January, just three weeks before the wide-scale invasion began. The threat of an attack from Belarus is moving past a remote chance, 
and approaching a real possibility. British Defense Secretary Ben Wallace described a September 29th incident over the Black Sea as a, quote, potentially dangerous engagement, end quote. During daylight hours, a Royal Air Force RC-135 rivet joint surveillance aircraft flying with its transponder on and over international waters was confronted by two Russian Su-27 fighter planes. The incident wasn't unusual until one of the Su-27s fired a missile, quote, in the vicinity of the RAF rivet joint. The Su-27 was not in visual range of the aircraft, and British officials did not deem the incident a, quote, deliberate escalation. The plane continued its surveillance mission and returned to its home airbase without further incident. The Russian MOD claims that the Su-27 experienced a technical malfunction that caused the missile to fire accidentally. Wallace agreed with Russia's assessment. The United States Central Command made the unusual revelation that the Ohio-class nuclear ballistic missile submarine West Virginia was in the Arabian Sea. U.S. Navy Vice Admiral Brad Cooper, head of U.S. 5th Fleet and Naval Forces Central Command, or NAVSENT, joined Army General Michael Carrilla and members of his staff on their visit to USS West Virginia at an undisclosed location in the Arabian Sea, according to a Department of Defense press release. It is highly unusual to reveal the location of a nuclear ballistic missile submarine on patrol, and the revelation was likely a message to Iran and Russia. Three internet and communication cables, two under sea, were severed in the last week. Telecommunication cables to the Faroe Islands between Scotland and Iceland were broken, cutting off almost all internet and communication access. The communication cable to the Shetland Islands off Scotland was severed yesterday, eliminating all phone service. The Faroe Islands communications will be inoperative, even if the cable is repaired quickly, as the connection passes through Shetland. Officials in the Faroe Islands believe the damage was caused by a fishing vessel, but acknowledged that two failures so close together was highly unusual. A third major fiber-optic cable has been cut in southern France, impacting Internet service in the United States, Europe, and Asia. Repairs were delayed as French police completed their investigation and gathered evidence. The three connections were repaired within 24 hours, but Internet traffic was still congested. Officials are reluctant to call the incident sabotage at this time. The United States Senate is working on a bill or attaching an aid package to the omnibus spending bill that would provide $50 million in aid to Ukraine through 2023 before the new Congress is seated in January. The measure has bipartisan support and is seen as a move to assure that a Republican-led House does not sever Ukrainian aid in the coming year. Luke Skywalker used the Force, but the man who portrayed Luke in the Star Wars franchise, Mark Hamill, declared... Use the drones. Hamill told Bloomberg Radio's Sound On that he had sent over 500 drones to Ukraine through a fundraising program. Hamill was named an ambassador for Ukraine's United 24 Army of Drones and said he was impressed that the organization provided frequent updates on how the drones were being used. Bloomberg TV reported that United States government officials were considering placing some of Elon Musk's business ventures under a national security review. Possible targets include Musk's attempt to purchase Twitter, which is already under investigation, 
and the Starlink satellite network. Musk created waves when he regurgitated Moscow talking points in a peace plan that he tweeted. He then stated SpaceX could no longer afford to pay for Starlink services he initially offered to Ukraine. There was a massive backlash as numerous NGOs, those are non-governmental organizations, charities, and private citizens reported they were already paying for the service, and that private individuals had acquired most of the Starlink terminals used by Ukraine. The Pentagon indicated they were negotiating with Musk when he abruptly reversed course and no longer sought additional payments for the service. On Russian state media, a pundit on the program 433 didn't realize they were live and his mic was hot when he revealed that Iran was supplying combat drones to Russia. As he walked to his chair, he told the host, quote, We won't rock the boat, so I beg you not to focus too much on Iran, because we all know they're Iranian, but the authorities haven't admitted it. End quote. He was quickly told they were live, and things got awkward. Speaking of awkward, let's talk about Russian mobilization. In Stavropol Federal District, Mobix revealed the equipment they are receiving for deployment. The second-best army in the world will be fighting with paintball protective masks, ankle shoes, combat boots that are already falling apart, and children's fake tactical gloves. Russian journalist Olesya Gerasimenko reported that the lifespan of a new PMC Wagner recruit has dropped to nine days as casualties in eastern Ukraine increase, particularly around Bakhmut and Solidar. All is going to plan. And it's a really great plan. A really, really great plan. Incredibly gratefully, I have no war crimes news for you today. So... In geopolitical news, President Zelensky dismissed the Ukrainian ambassador to Kazakhstan. Back in August, Ambassador Petro Vrublevsky said in an interview that Ukrainians are, quote, trying to kill as many Russians as possible, end quote, because the more they kill now, quote, the less our children will have to kill, end quote, in the future. Yikes on bikes. Zelensky did not give an official reason for releasing Vrublevsky, but I'm pretty sure you can take an inspired guess. Moving on to economic news. In a sign of increasing fiscal woes from the expense of the ongoing special military operation, the Russian government ordered 1 trillion rubles be redirected from the National Welfare Fund to cover the growing 2022 budget deficit. It's like a reverse Robin Hood. The ruble was flat, with an exchange rate of 61 for one U.S. dollar. Oil prices declined, with WTI crude falling to $84 a barrel and Brent moving to $92. United States RBOB wholesale gasoline on the spot market was steady at $2.64 a gallon, or $0.70 a liter. EU Dutch TTF natural gas futures were unchanged, at €115 per megawatt hour for November 2022 contracts. Chicago SRW wheat futures were also unchanged, holding at $8.45 per bushel for December 2022 delivery. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. 
You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.